0: So there are lots of books written on topics like church growth, uh, discipleship models, pastoral ministry. Some of them are helpful, but to be candid, most of them, for the most part, are essentially worthless. The longer I'm in church leadership, the more convinced I am than ever That the only ministry focus that really matters, the only ministry ideas that actually produce lasting fruit, the only way to daily grow to be more like Christ is found within the pages of this absolutely glorious book. After 20 plus years in ministry and really probably several hundred conversations with people about their past church experiences. If I wrote a book on pastoral ministry, I think I could summarize it probably in about one page. Not just one page, but probably just five bullet points. And after having all these conversations, it would, it would be something like this. One, in pastoral ministry, don't be a creep... Two, don't be a jerk. Three, don't be a wimp. Four, at least try not to be weird. And five, actually do Titus two. That's a strategy for healthy ministry. Now, I don't know if that book would be a bestseller or not, but it would be easy to read for sure. Now, my hope for us this morning is that as we think about what it looks like to to attempt to live out Titus 2 together in a a very healthy way as a church in community, my hope is that we would be struck by how absolutely simple it is and how utterly powerful it is. But, But make no mistake, despite its simplicity, the ideas contained in in Titus 2 are extremely controversial in today's contemporary world. We live among a culture for whom the ideas expressed in these 10 verses of Titus 2 that we'll read in a moment, they're considered misogynistic, intolerant, patriarchal, institutional, utterly morally bereft, and maybe worst of all, boring to the world. But the truth is that it's anything but these things, applied in a healthy way, in fact. Titus 2 is absolutely glorious. Our passage this morning is its Titus two one through six, but I want to read all of one through 10, because it's really important that we connect it to two verse 10. So brothers and sisters, hear the word of Almighty God our Savior. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Lord, would you lead us now by your Spirit? Uh, Help us to be sanctified. Sanctified. Help our thinking to be refined and help our hearts to be encouraged as a result of our time together in this beautiful and powerful passage, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's summarize our main focus for this morning like this. Growing more like Jesus comes from healthy teaching communicated within a healthy church community. So growing more like Jesus, growing in godliness, being conformed into the image of the Son, sanctification, all of that comes from healthy teaching communicated within a healthy church community according to this Passage. So, uh, let's just begin with our first exhortation that Paul gives directly to Titus in verse one. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Our our youngest son Ben spent the first week of his life after he was born, in an incubator at the NICU uh, at UT. And he did because of, of, a, of a nasty virus that caused him to have difficulty breathing just a few hours after he was born. Now, that was a trying time just thinking about it, but, but God was merciful, and I'm looking at Ben right now, And at age 12, Ben is almost as tall as I am now. So that experience in the NICU apparently didn't affect his ability to grow at all. But that is the end goal of an incubator. Creating an environment that will maximize healing and ultimately maximize growth. And it's certainly the case in Ben's life. An incubator is designed to keep bad things out, while the the nourishment and treatment he or she receives is designed to help the baby begin to grow, begin to flourish. Now in Titus, Paul is describing a church environment that will facilitate maximum growth, maximum flourishing. Titus needed to appoint men who could keep out the the nasty virus of false doctrine. Men who could hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. That was his first assignment. Now, Paul exhorts Titus himself to, to teach what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, Titus is to teach the people what Fits or what is aligned with or what is consistent with the the healthy wholesome knowledge of the truth truth that accords with or leads to godliness now let's connect that idea with with verse ten the reason that Paul charges Titus with all of these ideas about how men and women, younger and older, should relate to one another and why he talks about bondservants specifically is so that in everything they may adorn or make beautiful, put on display the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, Now this phrase is awesome. But so think about this week kind of as part 1. Next week we'll do part 2 and we'll unpack that phrase because it's it's glorious. But for our purposes this week the idea is to show the beauty and power of God our savior by the way that we relate to each other in healthy Community. Paul is exhorting Titus to ensure that his teaching flows from the gospel message itself, that is, from the redeeming work of God, our Savior. Saving grace is a catalyst for absolutely everything that we do as followers of Jesus. Now, the way the transforming power of the gospel works in us is that when we are saved, our dead hearts are made alive. Our, our stone hearts are turned to flesh. Or our, our blind eyes are, are opened to see for the very first time the beauty and the majesty and the purity that is the incomparable glory of God, our Savior. When we are redeemed, we are, we are looking to Christ And saying, yes and amen. He is everything that I need. His righteous robes can can cover my crimson sin. We look to him and and we believe that the power of his blood shed on Calvary's cross can wash our scarlet sins whiter than snow. Our our spiritually deaf ears are, are, are opened and we truly hear the gospel. And in in turning to Jesus, we turn away from the sin that so long held us bound. So, there is a very real sense in which absolutely everything we do after we have been justified by the grace of God in Christ that is after we have been saved everything we do in faith by the sanctifying by the sanctifying power of the holy spirit himself is designed to reflect the beauty and the power of the gospel itself that's what he's saying here in verse 10 that is Everything that we do as believers by faith in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit is designed to magnify the goodness and greatness of God our Savior, to bring glory and honor to the one who is the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever and ever. Amen. If that's true, and it is, that is a powerful motivator to want to be holy as God is holy. It is a powerful motivator to live and act in the world and perhaps even more poignantly in the church with with one another in a way that fits or aligns with our knowledge of the truth, which accords with Godliness, back to chapter 1 and verse 1. This is why it's so important to Paul to exhort Titus to teach what is consistent with sound or healthy or wholesome doctrine. That's what the word sound means. Healthy, wholesome, which is why I selected it for the main emphasis This morning, both healthy teaching and a healthy church community together are communicating something bigger than themselves as they display the greatness and glory of God, our Savior to a dying world. So then the question becomes, what does that look like? What does a healthy church community look like? How are men and women to relate to each other? How are older and younger people within a church community supposed to relate to one another in a healthy way that promotes growth, that promotes maximum flourishing? Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So I first want you to note something. That if we had preached through Titus 10 years ago, or perhaps even just 5 years ago, I probably would not have felt compelled to point out. But I think it's necessary to lay the foundation for the introduction to this section. It is becoming increasingly clear that churches like our church here at River Oaks, who hold to biblical revelation and therefore believe that the Word of God is the only ultimate authority for life and doctrine, We need to be exceedingly clear on even the most obvious and basic realities of life, such as the biological, ontological, anatomical, theological, and commonsensical reality that men are not women and women are not men. Men cannot become women, and women cannot become men. The reason that I'm saying that we need to be clear on that is we may be the last people in our culture here in America who are willing to say that clearly, and not just willing to say that clearly, but are willing to celebrate that reality. Now, my heart's desire our heart's desire is to be compassionate towards people who are confused about something that is this basic that is this clear especially young people we need to be exceedingly kind and gracious to young people and if you're a young person who ha- who is experiencing confusion about these things Please talk to somebody that you respect. Please come to us as a a leadership. We would be honored to walk you through these truths. The reason it's so important for us as the church to be clear about this is because we are a pillar and buttress of truth. And because The average young person has hundreds, if not thousands, of messages that come at them in just a particular week that are saying the exact opposite of what I am saying to you. But, young people, you need to be very discerning because the truths that I'm talking about we believe to be revealed by God Himself. And are unchangeable truths. The reality of what you are hearing about online or through social media or whatever is a reality or a false narrative that has gained momentum within the last couple of years. You need to understand that that five years ago, 0.001 people had any thoughts whatsoever about gender dysphoria or transgenderism. And now there are pockets, classes of people, groups of young women in particular, that are now utterly confused about their gender. This has only happened within the past few years. So you need to be thinking very clearly because the consequences or implications of some of those decisions can be catastrophic, What I want us to understand is that God has created men and women differently, intentionally, in love, by design, to maximize human flourishing. Not only should we not be ashamed or embarrassed to communicate these truths, we as the people of God should rightly celebrate the power and the, and the beauty of the complementary way God has designed men and women to interact with one another in marriage and within the church for the sake of human flourishing. Now Paul communicates his exhortations to older men and to younger men, to older women and to younger women, because men and women though utterly equal in value in the eyes of god are obviously and are essentially different god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them genesis 2:27 god made men and women differently on purpose by design in love for the sake of human flourishing And he hasn't changed his mind at all. Now, Paul offers a word of exhortation to be communicated by Titus to older men in verse 2. He says, be sober-minded, dignified. The idea there is to have a weightiness to your character, a, a gravity to who you are. And to younger men, he says in verse six, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So I want to talk about the older men and the younger men together because older men, at some point, you were younger men, right? and younger men, believe it or not, one day you are going to be older men. Then, as I address as I address the issues here in Titus two both for men and for women, for older and for younger, I, I want to avoid being box-checky. So I, I really want to convey somewhat conversationally the essence of what I think Paul is saying here in these few verses as, as I understand them biblically. So first let me speak to the younger men. Uh, notice the charge given to older men, and the focus that Paul chooses to emphasize with the younger men. Namely, he concentrates on self-control. And it's really an issue for just about everyone. Older women, younger women, older men, younger men. As Christians, what we mean by self-control is an ongoing willingness to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit in sound doctrine. Now, the reason that I'm saying it that way uh, is because the Holy Spirit is never going to lead you in any way that's inconsistent with what the Word of God says, that is, in sound doctrine. And for us, when we're talking about self-control, we're really talking about a willing submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God. That's what we mean. The reason self-control is so important is because it really is the key to developing into the type of man that both men and women of all ages would respect. At some point in your life, if you are a young man, at some point you need to resolve to become a mature man. Everything that I'm going to say with respect to believers means that we're doing it in a faith-dependent way, as we trust in Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit. At the very same time, you need to resolve to be a mature man. Otherwise, you're going to drift. You're going to drift. And I talk to 40-year-old men, 50-year-old men, who've never resolved to do this, and they're still drifting you need to resolve to be a mature and maturing man now if you if you if you're still really young and you're hearing me talk about this just understand that this is going to be a very very long process okay so we're talking about a goal to pursue through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it is, it is absolutely a worthy pursuit to try to align your character with what you see here in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. Now, from a human perspective, young men, the reason why it's so important to commit to being a mature man is that the number one thing that keeps bad men from taking advantage of those who are vulnerable is good men. Men with integrity, that is, men who live with biblical conviction, men who use their strength not to harm others or take advantage of others, but to work hard and to provide for others, to benefit those who are vulnerable. At a young age, you need to seek to grow into the type of man that a young woman would want to marry. God forbid we raise up godly women in this church and they look around and say, what do you expect us to do here? We want our young women to be able to look at our young men and say, that is the type of man that I would love to love. But you need to commit to being that type of man through the power of the Holy Spirit. The reality is that men who are not self controlled are largely useless. And the reason is because they can't be trusted with responsibility. They might be able to somehow mutter through life themselves and, and largely take care of themselves, perhaps with a little help from their moms. But we're not going to entrust them with anything important. And certainly not responsibility within the church. If a man can't govern his own heart and life, he won't be able to lead his family well and won't be qualified to lead faithfully in the church at all. So, young men, I want you to capture a vision for what it would look like to be a man worthy of respect, a man that others want to follow, to be a man after God's own heart. If you want to know what a true man looks like, just pour over the Gospels. Pour over the Gospels. Behold Jesus. And seek to reflect the character of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Further, I would say, to the degree to which I and other men are following Jesus, then follow us as well. Because we're going to point you to one man, and that is the God-man Christ Jesus. Now, one practical place to start in terms of developing self-control, because remember, that's the, that's the overarching issue here in many of these things. One practical place to start, if you're a young man, is with what comes out of your mouth. The reason for this, biblically, is because a lack of self-control is ultimately a heart issue. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James says it this way in 3.2. If a man does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man, able also to bridle or guide or govern his whole body. So if you want a starting place on how you might learn to govern yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit, begin with your speech and discipline yourself to to use words that give grace to those who hear. Now, if you're a young man and you have a father or a mature man who loves Jesus and is, is willing to speak into your life, I am pleading with you to listen to him to be receptive to his influence. Of course, weigh his counsel with the word. But if you have a man or a father like that, you have no idea how blessed you are. So don't waste this gift, this gift from God to you. If you are a young man and want to... uh, think through these things or talk through these things or even just to pray about these things. Just come see me after service and we'll begin to talk about or or talk to one of the men who are, are near you and just ask them to pray with you so that you might become a man worthy of respect from both men and women. Now, older men... At this point in my life, I have a little bit more gray in my beard than I have black in my beard. So I'm going to, perhaps for the first time with full integrity, be able to speak to you as a peer. I'll use, you know, us and we language here. Let me begin with this. One of the things that can be the most enslaving for older men is regret. So let's cut to the chase. If there are things that you need to repent of, in terms of how you have led or lived with those closest to you, ask God to forgive you. Ask God to be merciful to you and then go to those you need to and, and humbly ask them to forgive you. The more specific you can be, the better. Let them know you're prepared to change and to lead and live differently from this day forward. In 1 Corinthians eleven seven, 7, Paul says something astounding. He essentially says that a man walking around on earth represents God. Paul says that he is the image and glory of God. Now, of course, Jesus is the only one who fulfilled this absolutely perfectly. But older men, seek to be a man who reflects God's glory and honor everywhere you go through the power of the Holy Spirit your very presence as an older man should bless those around you. As a man, there should never be a case where your presence hinders or hurts someone else, most notably your family, but anyone. There is nothing more pathetic than an older man who is perverse, manipulating, self-centered, and irresponsible. In other words, the opposite of Jesus. Brothers, we need to be men who seek to have integrity in what we say and in how we act to the point that there is a noticeable respectability Even gravity, the word in verse 2 is dignified, a gravity to our character and to our counsel. Now the effect that this should have is if you think about planets and orbits is that all men, indeed all people, but we're talking to the older men right now, right Kevin? (laughs) All people are orbiting around Jesus who is the sun, His gravity draws all people to himself. But we as men, as older, dignified, gravitas-filled men who are orbiting around the sun, that gravity should be drawing other moons into our orbit so that we can speak into their lives, so that we can encourage them towards greater and greater godliness. In many ways, this is the purpose of relay teams if you're involved in the youth or with the youth. It's why we do multi-generational growth groups. It's great if you're an empty nester and you want to get together with other empty nesters and say, isn't this great? (laughs) I've never felt so relaxed in my entire life. (laughs) But you also need to be very intentional to pour into the rising generation. We need you. I'm counting myself as a tweener here. We need you to speak into us. We need your presence. We need your wisdom. We need your godliness. We need someone to show us the way. So, so seek to organize your life in whatever way you can to finish well. Finish strong. Look, I get that you might need to slow down a little, but don't wind down. No, no, let's 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 try to. Do everything possible in our strength, whether that's in growth group or in any way you can possibly think of. If you're going to the hardware store, you're looking at a car, you're having coffee, whatever it is, anything possible, bring a moon with you, right? And, and, and just pour into their life. Just talk to them about Jesus. The truth is you don't know if you have decades or days left. And you need to use every moment of it to try to pour into the rising generation. You will never, ever regret it. And and you can finish strong. I I love this passage from Joshua, uh, and I love Caleb's perspective here. This is Joshua 14, beginning in verse 10. If you're an older man, you're going to be fired up. Caleb says, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now... Give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. That's an 85-year-old dude saying he's going to take the Anakim. Fearless, ready to roll, as strong as ever. But think about what he's actually doing in there, going into these enemy territories. And let this thought wash over your mind. It is never too late to start taking ground back from the enemy. So older and younger women... Let's be clear right out of the gate. The focus here is on character as well. And as a, as a leader in our church, as an elder and a pastor here, I can hardly think of anything more exciting than the thought of every one of our women, regardless of age, absolutely flourishing, flourishing as a follower of Jesus, flourishing as a woman, flourishing as a mother, flourishing as a wife, flourishing as a grandmother. Whatever role you are in at this point, this leadership wants to do everything possible to help you Flourish. Now, Paul here uses a lot of likewise language in, in many of his situations here in Titus 2 because so many of the character qualities are important for believers, whether you're male or female, man or woman, young or older. But what I want you to do is to think about them relative to the specific temptations That you may face, whether that's as a mature woman or a young woman in the church, a friend of women, a wife, a mother, a grandmother. Young women, you too need to resolve to be mature as a woman of God. You need to resolve, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as you trust in Jesus, to be a mature and maturing woman of God. If that's not your focus, what are you doing? What are you concentrating on? I, I, could, I cannot think of anything that's a more worthwhile pursuit than to maximize your growth and godliness. Older women, think about the way that you carry yourselves. Now, I know that women are wired differently from one another, right? Some are quieter, naturally, more introverted. Some are less so. No, I didn't say any names. Yeah. So might be spicier, spunkier. Five, two-ish with blue eyes. But here's the point. Regardless of how you're wired in terms of personality and those types of things, The characteristics of verse 3 should be evident in your life. You can have fun (laughs) and still be respected or revered as a woman who honors God. And you know this is true. Young women need godly role models more than ever. the women in our culture that are put up as as role models for our women are just gross immodest perverse and gross our women need mature women who model godliness who model godliness in person in the way that they interact, and who who model godliness online, frankly. That's not a, 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 a free space. Your character online is your character in person. Your character in person is your character online. You don't get to separate those two. Our women need godly, mature women who, especially as it relates to slander or malicious gossip, as some call it, who abhor those things. Our mature women should be both sober, according to the text, and sober-minded. That is, clear-minded, level-headed, able to give wise counsel. There is nothing more pathetic than a, than a catty, immodest, crude, and irreverent older woman. I used to work with Teamster Union truck drivers. And the most vile language I ever heard, the most cussed out I've ever been, was from a woman with white hair who made me blush. Now, you might be tempted to think, yeah, well, I'm not foul-mouthed. I, w- I would never slander or maliciously gossip about anyone. And I hope that's true. But if you're an older woman, this is, w- this is one of the things I want you to concentrate on. You are in relationship with many other women. You need to be the first to call out unverified concerns or comments that might be shared by other women, especially about other women, even if they're offered as prayer requests. Older women in love, you need to help protect other women. And to be blunt, you need to help protect our church from insidious lies or subtle gossip. Maybe it just feels like uncomfortable comments in the beginning. But those are seeds that can grow into a contagion, that can hurt people. They can upset whole families. They can destroy churches. So mature women, seek to be women who are both grace-filled and bold. Pray that you would be women of wisdom, of winsomeness, of discernment, and of boldness. Frankly, what do you have to fear? Your security and identity is in Christ. Engage in a loving way, but engage in a direct and truthful way. And don't be afraid to call sin, sin. Young women, what does it tell you about your heart that you need to be trained to love your husband and children, according to verse 4? Or to be trained to be self-controlled, pure, working at home and submissive to your own husband. Or maybe it just tells you, boy, men must be really difficult to love. (laughs) Now, undoubtedly, that's true in some circumstances. And, and probably true in some measure in all circumstances. But the emphasis here is on your character and your conduct. Now, a bad way to go about speaking into the rising generation would be to just comment on how differently they think about, well, basically everything than the way that you do. That's not going to be helpful. Or another bad way to approach the situation would be to take an area where you're strong, Let's just say, for example, impurity, and go on a crusade to win everyone to your point of view on modesty and sexuality. It's not helpful if you take an area where you're strong and then try to go after people for whom that's a weakness. Rather, come alongside them. Seek to influence them and speak into them with biblical and loving truth. The way that happens is by cultivating relationships and being intentional in conversation to seek to persuade one another toward greater godliness in every area of life. This should be regular conversation, not that uncomfortable, awkward conversations you keep putting off that you know you need to have. If we're always talking about pursuing Christ and greater and greater godliness, then this is just the next conversation in that line. May God grant much freedom and and grace in the relationships among our our women for for the good of one another, for the sake of our families, and ultimately for the health of our church and the glory of God. Now, as it relates to working at home and submissiveness to your husband, let me be clear. There is no one-size-fits-all here. I think one of the most unloving things that you could possibly do is say, it has to look like this. In other words, the way I do it. That that is simply not true. Much damage can be done by trying to tell people that this must look a certain way in terms of either how a husband and wife relate to one another or, or how much a woman should work outside the home, for example. These exhortations are more about heart posture than about the very precise way to live these things out. You know, our actions and behaviors are important, but what's driving them is the heart posture. I mean, just over the course of our 26 years of marriage, Christy has been home full time. She's worked part time. She's worked full-time. Now she works overtime. (laughs) But but her heart is centered on our home. She works to bless our home, not to avoid responsibilities in our home. And her self-sacrificial love is absolutely a beautiful example of adorning the doctrine of God, her Savior. So let me say that if you're in a marriage or if you're in a relationship, because we're moving into a discussion about biblical submission. So if you're in a marriage or in a relationship and concerned that it is either manipulative or might be abusive or oppressive, please tell someone that you respect a woman who is a friend of yours, growth group leader, please come to us as church leaders. I can promise you this after conversations over the last two decades, you're not alone. We'll help to work through this situation to determine if you need to be safe and so you need to be out of that situation or if it's possible to be able to work through that in a way, in an ongoing way, even if it takes a long time, to ultimately find a place where you are both able to glorify God in the way that you relate to one another. But here's, here's the point. If you're not sure if you're in that type of relationship, but you wonder if you might be, that's already telling you something's very Unhealthy. So you need to talk to somebody about that, and we would be honored to walk through that with you. Second, some some men lead in such a way that submitting to his leadership just feels like a natural way of relating to one another as God intended it. And if you're in a relationship like that, praise God. Praise God for that kind of strong and tender, convictional and compassionate leadership. Praise the Lord. If you, if you don't find yourself there, where submitting to my husband's leadership, following my husband's leadership, is, feels natural and good and healthy and joyful, or at least at times feels perhaps anything but that, a couple of thoughts. One, recall that we are talking quite a bit about heart posture as it relates to these exhortations. Biblical submission is more about an attitude than a specific action. Okay? When we're talking about biblical submission, we are not talking about subjugation. In fact, think about some examples of this. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane submitted his will to his Father's will. Does anybody think that was weak on Jesus' part? That might be the most heroic example of strength the world has ever seen as he submitted to his Father in heaven. Or maybe think about another example. Because you think, yeah, if I was married to God, uh, you know, it'd be a lot easier. <laughs> but think about something like this think about forgiveness. The Bible commands us to forgive 70 times 7, right? When you make a conscious decision to forgive someone, are you demonstrating weakness or strength? Strength. Strength. Biblical submission is about making a conscious, empowered decision led by the Holy Spirit to submit what God desires for you to do or to relate to your husband in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God, the degree to which you are able to do that in accordance with God's word. That is not a position of weakness. It has nothing to do with subjugation. That's evil. Biblical submission is beautiful. Now, think about what's happening here. I want to be tender to those who are in difficult situations and I also want to challenge you who may not be following your husband's leadership because you don't want to follow anybody's leadership. You want to do what you want to do. And if someone doesn't agree with you, that's their problem. right? You may not be feeling, following your husband's leading because With a clear conscience, you don't feel like you can, because he's not leading in a biblically faithful manner. So, whatever the case, whether this is your heart posture, or whether the issue really is the way that your husband is leading, my encouragement to you would be to to pray about verses like Genesis three sixteen or other relevant relevant passages. Ask the Spirit to move in your heart. Talk with other women. Talk with a woman about your particular situation that you trust or, or come to us as a church leadership. We'd be happy to talk through those things to find out if, if your situation is healthy, unhealthy, good, bad. Lovingly encourage you, strongly rebuke you, whatever the case is and everything in between. Now, as it, as it um, relates to working at home, again, I think it's primarily a heart posture Because recall, there are multiple biblical examples of very godly women who had very successful businesses and worked outside their home. I mean, think of the Old Testament. Proverbs 31 woman, very successful businesswoman. She worked from morning till night. And she blessed her family in a million ways. Or New Testament, Lydia, godly woman, godly believer, successful business. So the issue is not whether you work outside the home or not. The issue is whether or not your heart really is centered on your home. I think that's what Paul's getting at. Uh, are you working for the sake of your home or, or just to avoid responsibility at home? Now, Sometimes situations can be very challenging, and I get that. And I'm not saying don't take a job because you don't want to be at home because it's really difficult. Sometimes that can be a refreshing break. And we have many multi-talented women who would bless the workforce by their giftings. What I'm saying is just ask the Lord to reveal to you whether or not you're trying to avoid particular responsibilities that should be being taken care of at home or not, as the case may be. should consider a change if serving or working in other places. Because maybe you're not working a full-time job, but you're just always constantly busy everywhere else trying to serve other people. If it's beginning to have a negative impact on your home, uh, you may want to reconsider that situation. But again, let me reiterate, there's no blueprint here. Okay. May the Spirit grant much wisdom and discernment for us all. Finally, The point of the negative warning here is so that the word of God will not be reviled at the end of verse 5. Now, if you think about it, that's the exact opposite of verse 10. Verse 10 says that we should live and interact with each other in such a way that it would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Well, when we don't do this, the effect of that is that the word of God is reviled. Now, these biblical ex- ex- exhortations are, are, are not heeded. Um, if they're not, uh, the beauty and majesty of God our Savior will in some way be marred, which of course we never want to do. Rather, may we live together in such a way that the glory of our God is on display for the world to behold. Now now th- what Paul's really describing here is this incubator, right? This is what maximum flourishing looks like by by design. But what if you grew up in a home that looked nothing like this? And now you're living in a home that looks nothing like this. Take heart. Take heart because God can do a miracle in any situation. And if you are following Jesus fervently and devotedly despite your circumstances, then praise God. You are beautifying God, your Savior, in the midst of situations that are extremely difficult. And we thank God for you. But our goal as a church and as a community is to live in such a way that the doctrine of God, our Savior, would be seen as beautiful to the world. So I may never end up writing a book on pastoral ministry. Actually, if I do, you've already read it, because I already, I already told you. It's, it's one page, five bullet points. But I know this, living out Titus 2 in a healthy way, in a healthy way, is an excellent start for building a healthy church community that fits the beauty and power of the doctrine that we profess to believe. Glory be to our God and Savior forever and ever and ever. Amen. Worship team, are you, why don't you guys come up while I pray and then we will, we have the joy of celebrating a few baptisms this morning. Lord, would you lead us now uh, by your spirit as we, as we talk through or wade through um, these serious waters, Lord, it can, it can feel heavy depending on our circumstances, but I pray that your spirit would breathe in hope and fresh life this morning. And I pray that as we have the opportunity to see your saving work on display, the fruit of that in in, in obedience and baptism, that our hearts would rejoice because you continue to save and the gospel is reaching the rising generation. And for that, we praise you, our God and our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.